You're listening to the Theosophia Podcast, a platform for women's voices in theology, curated by me, Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and Kelsey Davis. This is part two of a series on the United Methodist Church decision. This episode features the Reverend Jen Logsdon Kellogg. She is the associate pastor at Quail Springs United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Reverend Jen actually attended the conference and will share with us her first-hand experience of what it was like there. Thank you so much, Jen, for joining us on the podcast, and thank you for your work in the church and your dedication to loving all of God's people. Here's Jen. Yeah. So did you go to the the whole conference? I did. I went to the whole conference. Um, The first day, so it was four days. Mm -hmm. And the first day was a day of prayer. Uh, And Mm. then the last hour, hour and a half was kind of an orientation for the delegates. Now, I didn't have any official reason to go. I was not there in any official capacity. I just felt compelled um, that I wanted to be there, that um, I needed to be present and Mm -hmm. to be in prayer. And I wanted to observe the process. I've um, I've been, I was just ordained last year, second oh, career. Um, so I've, I've been, of course, participating in our statewide annual conference, but I'd never been to the, the denominational meeting. So mm-hmm. part of it was just a curiosity of how, how the process works, but, mm-hmm. um, that, that deep desire just to be there and to be, um, present in prayer is the main reason I went Yeah, and I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. Um, it was heartbreaking though. So I traveled um, with some folks who have been going for a long time and who were much more familiar with what to expect. And of course they told me what their experiences had been, but I didn't, it didn't fully register until mm-hmm. I was actually in the space. So um, on the first day, the day of prayer, um, it was, I think, I think that, um, the space that we were in was so huge and it felt very disconnected. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot of care and attention. I felt like to the liturgy and to um, including lots of different voices and perspectives and except that (laughs) the whole conference, of course, this particular conference is not our regularly scheduled conference. It was one that was called specifically to discuss how LGBTQ people are to be included in the congregation. I mean, in the denomination. And um, after lunch, they still had not specifically, we were, we were issuing prayers for all kinds of people groups. And no, there had still not been any kind of specific prayer for LGBTQ people. Come on. I know. Uh, no particular kind of lifting up. And so some of the the queer people that were the queer clergy caucus that were there confronted um, apparently some bishops and said, you got this one wrong. Mm-hmm. And to the bishop's credit, they immediately, we came back from lunch and they stopped and said, whoops, we screwed up. Here's what we're going to do now. Mm-hmm. And we did um, enter Good. into a time of prayer specifically for LGBT. Mm-hmm. So that was indicative really of a lot of the the tone of what was happening that I could see throughout the conference was that, and, and the LGBTQ people were not uniformly represented. There were several different groups that were doing different things. So when I say 
LGBTQ people and their allies, there were different groups doing different things. Sure. Um, but they uniformly said, we do not feel seen. We do not feel heard. We do not feel like we've been invited to be a part of this process in a way that is meaningful. And the heartbreaking thing that I saw from many of the other delegates, um, the, the people who were pushing the traditionalist plan, and especially some who were not from North America, was that they were choosing not to see. Yeah. And we were sitting in the stands immediately above an entrance and exit where many of the delegates were coming and going. And I was in a, a large group with, um, we were reconciling ministry stoles, you know, colored stoles to indicate our support for LGBTQ, mm-hmm. LGBTQ people. And uh, some people had signs and rainbow flags and, you know, you could see people walking past, not literally putting their hands up, but literally casting their eyes down to the floor, not looking mm-hmm. at, um, the people who are represented there. Mm-hmm. Just like I see people, I do a lot of ministry with people who are homeless and just like you see people trying not to right, see the, right. the person standing at the corner. Right. Um, that's exactly the kind of look that was on the faces of, of some of the delegates. Not all, of course not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be that they're focusing on something else, but that's not how the queer allies received it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you, were you there for the discussion? Oh and, yeah. And the, okay. So how did that go or what, what captured you or was difficult? Well, of course this it's parliamentary procedure. Yeah. And, um, we had groups who came with very specific ideas of what they wanted <clears throat> to happen. And the work of discernment and prayer really had been, Uh, So at the 2016 conference, when the bishops were asked to lead and they formed this commission, the special commission on the way forward, the idea was that that the discernment of a way forward would happen in that smaller group and that that was the place to do that work. And I followed the, the information about that group. And it seemed to me like we should have been able to trust that 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 happened the way it was supposed to. And I, I don't doubt the work that the group did. Um, what was, and I don't doubt that they did it in a, in a manner that was prayerful and discerning. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it came back into this general conference, there was um, no way to have the kind of dialogue and the kind of, um, I'm more familiar with, um, you know, the Quaker um, mm. seeking and um, waiting in silence together and, mm-hmm. um, um, clearness committee kind of of organization and there's no room for that work in this kind of a parliamentary procedure right. setting and so um, it seemed that there were very definite definite um, caucuses already uh, who were pushing for this or that plan and there were some I know among those, um, the queer allies that were would have supported the one church plan, really would have preferred the simple plan, but were willing to support the one church plan. Can't can't go the route of the traditionalist plan, and um, pretty much everybody knew that the connectional conference plan was not going to work. Mm-hmm. 
And I went in with a lot of hopefulness that um, at least the one church plan people would be able to meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. But it was pretty obvious from the debate early on. And of course, uh, the one church plan didn't even pass out of the legislative committee, uh, Mm -hmm. which was a shock to to a lot of us Mm -hmm. that it didn't even get that far. And as, as the time went on, the debate became more contentious, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, as time went on and the queer allies kept lifting up the fact that they felt like they were not being seen and heard, the more uh, the traditionalists responded with, but we were trying. <laughs> yeah, I could see on both, on both sides of this debate, um, people on each side kind of stepping back from the relationship and already starting to disconnect Mm -hmm. and to, to, to say you're hurting me. And so I can't be here with you anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, which of course, um, I have this idea that church is a place where all people should be welcomed and, and included. I personally believe that, um, gay people should be allowed to marry and should be ordained in our church. I understand the perspective of those who don't. Uh, I don't want us to have to split up and be in two different churches. Mm-hmm. And yet, how can I live with this continued, uh, what I perceive to be injustice and the, the absolute denial on the part of many on either extreme to, um, to stay in the relationship is what I think I find the most heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been reflecting on this myself and I, I read the piece you posted that you recorded in just a minute ago mm-hmm. and, um, you know, traditionalists saying that, you know, all we're doing is saying we're not doing gay marriages. We're not allowing gay people to be ordained, but the table's still open. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't seen any, uh, verbiage about gay people not being able to be members, which I know some. That is, yeah, that is true. There churches. is no, there is no restrictions against gay people being able to be members, and from lay leadership. So mm-hmm. we have lots of positions in our churches that are, and even up to the denominational level, that are held mm-hmm. by lay people, and uh, there are no uh, prohibitions. Yeah. Um, when it comes to lay leadership. Yeah. Now, um, I do have. I have a personal friend and this is a part of the reason I'm, I'm in advocacy. Like I am, I have, uh, the ter- first church that I served, which was Calera United Methodist church. It's uh, in Southeastern Oklahoma. I started there under appointment before I had even started seminary. Mm. And when I got there, um, like my second week, uh, two women came to my door and they knocked uh, like after church one Sunday and they, they knocked and they said, you need to know that we are married. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I already knew how I, you know, I already uh, had gay people in my family and had already sorted through, you know, how I felt about gay marriage in my own head, but I hadn't thought about it. How am I going to address this as a pastor? Mm-hmm. You know, how's the rest of the church handling it? I didn't have any of the, hadn't done any of the work mm-hmm. on that. And so with getting to know the church and getting to know this couple, I recognized pretty quickly that um, one of they're both involved in the church, but one much more than the other. And uh, Vicki, who is my friend, um, well, they're both my friends. Uh, it became obvious to me very quickly that she was the most spiritually mature 
person in the congregation with leadership skills with um, she was already leading the music for worship. She happens to be a cardiologist and she would come uh, to church in her scrubs if she was on call and she was playing the organ and leading all of the music for worship. She was already certified as a lay speaker, which meant that she could preach um, in the church. So that is not forbidden. And it was, uh, it was known to the district superintendent that they were married. And I, as time went on, I found out that part of their earlier story was that there had been a revival a couple of years before I got there where Vicki was asked to, to lead and to preach. And um, there was a previous pastor and maybe some other people in the congregation who there was a controversy about it. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know any of that until, until later, but my point being, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that she is anointed to preach and that she is um, uh, empowered by the Holy spirit to lead in a significant way in mm-hmm. that church. And she has continued to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that certainty and seeing that, and then I, you know, went through figuring out how the rest of the church was um, dealing or not dealing with it, you know, (laughs) pretending that Vicki and Donna were just roommates and and all those things um, and, and worked through, through some things there. But I, that um, is what I carry with me when I'm thinking of my advocacy work. And so I'm looking at all these other people, in leadership in our churches and knowing that uh, we wouldn't be the church that we are. We wouldn't Mm -hmm. be the body of Christ that we are. if We didn't have those voices and that experience um, in significant leadership. And who am, who are we to say um, the spirit blows where she wishes Mm -hmm. and to, to take, and of course, I, as you, if you read that piece, you know, my take on, on scriptural interpretation and, but to, to, to limit what the spirit can do based Mm -hmm. on a pretty, um, set way of interpreting scripture is something that I've been working really hard to try to bridge some, some relationships about, um, what I saw from the queer allies at the conference was that their response to the traditionalist people who are supporting the traditionalist plan was, well, that's not loving. Mm -hmm. And what I heard back from the traditionalists was, well, we are trying to be loving. We're trying to be appropriately loving and, and in, in accordance with how we view scripture. And so I don't think it's helpful for the queer allies to say, you're hating us. You don't love us. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think that that is helpful to the conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't think that it's helpful for, uh, the traditionalists to try to keep a claim on one right way of interpreting scripture and to say that we can't all be faithful Christians doing our best to discern, uh, the right interpretation and application of scripture for any particular given circumstance mm-hmm. and, not come to the same conclusions. Right. Right. Interpreting scripture is such a, I'm so over that 
that question and conversation. <laughs> so hard. Well, me. and I, and in some ways I am too. And what I'm finding is that the people in our churches still need to have it. They do. They, they need do. to have it and they need to have, um, they need to have someone leading them in that. And mm-hmm. we've been so afraid to say the words lesbian, gay, bisexual, right. transgender, right. that, you know, for a long, long time, I might preach on specific texts regarding LGBTQ people mm-hmm. once a year. And when I did, inevitably, somebody would say, oh, my gosh, you talk about that all the time. We're so sick of hearing it. Well, we've, you know, we've got to give people the tools to interpret those scriptures with the new information that we have in the last 50 years about, about how people are wired naturally with sexual uh, preferences and with gender identities. Right. That's all new information. Right. But also too, like we have a history of interpreting scripture, how, how it engages with culture. Like it, like we're, we're suddenly okay with war and killing people. Right. Right. right, And and that's, I mean, if there's yeah, here we are in Oklahoma, clear. where we also <laughs> passed the permitless carry. The same right, week, we can. Right? Yeah, we can carry without even knowing what a gun is or how to use it. Um, mm-hmm. God, and like that's okay. And scriptures clearly like don't kill, mm-hmm. you know. And there's, I mean, all sorts of things: divorce. Um, I mean, you name it. Scripture is a lot more clear <laughs> on certain things. <laughs> on a lot of other things, right. That we've, we've already decided, well, an actual lived experience, that just doesn't work. So mm-hmm. we're going to try to see this differently. Um, yeah, that's the most frustrating thing to me because it seems so logical that that doesn't, like there is not one way to interpret Scripture. Well, and Scripture for the traditionalist, Scripture is their heart language. Right, but it totally disregards the Wesleyan tradition of the quadrilateral. Of, exactly. Of, of using reason, tradition, tradition, scripture, and experience. You have right. to have those all in common. You have to have all of them, not just tradition. Right. And I get that the scripture is kind of the, I don't know, maybe the highest one, as I've had Methodist mm-hmm. pastors explain to me. But I'm like, but still, we don't see the Bible as Muslims do the Quran, it is not literally God's word. It is inspired. And that's very different. And it's a, it's a very new phenomenon that Christians have decided to take up this literalist situation that just is not in the Christian tradition at all. Um, Right. Uses me. I'm like, what are we doing? It's a pendulum swing. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I understand, um, I understand the desire to have a clear cut answer for everything. I mean, wouldn't that be great if but we could open up that to book? Certainty, Jen. We are I know we are certainty. That is a sin in and of itself. It is. And it's dismissing the mystery of our great faith and our tradition. Right. And so I'm frustrated with people who see scripturally differently than I do. But I'm also aware that that is their starting place. Mm -hmm. And so as a pastor, when I'm looking at how do I help people open their minds to engaging to the possibility that that the Holy Spirit might reveal something new to them. If scripture is that important, you know, you start with you start with what they're most passionate about. Mm -hmm. So scripture is is what is 
their heart language, if that's, if that's how they connect with, with God and are transformed, then start there, Mm -hmm. but start looking at different ways of, you hear my cat, sorry about that. (laughs) Um, at different ways of, um, taking them one step further instead of trying to give them whiplash and spinning them all the way around, taking them one step further. So I had, um, for example, I think you may have seen on the comments, there was a a comment that said Romans one. And I said, well, but you can't take Romans one without the whole letter to the Romans. Mm -hmm. Um, Romans one. Yeah. It does say that uh, it wasn't talking about consensual relationships between. No, no, not at all. It was talking about exploitative relationships. Um, And so taking, taking at least the starting place that somebody gives you and then asking them to pull pan out and, and take a wider view and point out some things is where if we can't even talk about gay people, then we can't even get to that. Mm-hmm. So talking about it um, and in a way that includes, <laughs> in fact, puts, puts LGBT people at the forefront of the conversation mm-hmm. um, is I think what is necessary I, in, uh, in John chapter 11 with the binding of La- the unbinding of Lazarus, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus calls um, Lazarus out of the tomb and, and Lazarus gets up and walks out of the tomb, but he still has his um, grave wrappings on. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says to the community, you take off the claws and let him go. Mm. And so we are called, um, I think as a community to seek out those who are bound up mm-hmm. and um, to, to be a part of helping uh, remove those, those grave claws and, and giving them freedom. Mm-hmm. And right now in, in this conversation, it's the LGBTQ people that have been bound up, mm-hmm. but it is also the people who are so bound to one interpretation of scripture that has, um, has them bound. Yes. They're limiting their, ex- even just their experience of God is mm-hmm. so thin. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful point. What do you think is going to happen or what is your hopes? And, and, and what is your plan? God, I have so many questions. I don't know which one I want <laughs> to answer. Cause I want to know too, like what's your pastoral response been in your community? How's your community taken it? Well, and that's, that's been an interesting thing too, because I've had to manage my own responses and my pastoral responses at the same time. So this, let me tell you about the end, the end, the death. Um, So that last day at the, in the afternoon session, when it was obvious that the traditional plan was going to pass and the um, moderates were just trying to stall the clock so they could uh, really, it was, it, it was funny, uh, but also a little bit sad uh, the debate went to, well, if we're going to be this, and it's true, uh, we can't be hypocrites. If we're going to be this intent on enforcing sexual purity, then let's do it for people who have been married, who have been divorced and remarried. Let's do it for people who are living in uh, non-covenant relationships. I mean, like, if we're going to do this, let's do it thoroughly. <laughs> let's just police was, everybody's bedroom. Right. Okay. And it was, it was irony to a point out the hypocrisy and be yeah. run, down the, run down the clock yeah. because the traditional plan was uh, there are large pieces of it that are unconstitutional and that way they didn't have time to fix it and make it constitutional. Right. So we spent that whole afternoon 
it was like attending a death. It was like being yeah. at the hospital um, with someone who is dying and you're waiting and, and there. And, mm-hmm. and I'm good at death. I'm good at going and attending uh, when sure. someone is dying. But that, that, I'm good at it, but that doesn't mean it's comfortable. Sure. Uh, and that is how it felt. And so there was, there were a a group of us that were, um, alternately crying, you know, one of us would break into tears and everybody else is holding it together. And then of course somebody else breaks into tears and somebody else, you know, pulls it together. And it was like that all afternoon. Mm -hmm. It was just excruciating. And at the very end, when that final vote was passed, it really was like that moment when you don't hear the breath again, you know, Mm. when someone's been breathing slower and slower and then it stops. Mm. And I've lost people who are very close to me. And and I was in that moment of deep grief. Mm. And I had even thought to myself, I'm glad I'm not um, responsible for anybody else at this moment. Mm. You know, I'm with colleagues. I'm not with anybody that's mine to pastor. Right. And this lovely young seminarian who is from the church that I uh, serve, and she is off at seminary. She is there at the conference. Um, and she came over to me and she said, she's crying. She said, can I sit with you? Mm. And I thought, you know, this is, um, this is a death. It really is. And I am a pastor. And of course my first response was there's always resurrection. Mm-hmm. So after, after that last vote, we went uh, downstairs. There had been protesters out, um, outside uh, from within our, our groups, the, the queer groups. And um, by the time I got out into the lobby, there was a group that was singing and they were singing the freedom songs mm-hmm. and they were chanting and doing the call and response of lament. And already I could see that that is the beginning of resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what's next. Um, in my, in my setting, I am not the lead pastor. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm an associate. Uh, we are working together on helping to communicate with the church what's happening and to, um, and of course for us, we don't tell the church what to do. We help the church discern, uh, what they are to do. Uh, but we still don't know, you know, the, the, plan was largely unconstitutional. It will have to go get a ruling from a judicial council, which will come back and say which parts are not constitutional. And we'll see Mm -hmm. if there's even any legislation that is able to be implemented. Mm -hmm. We have um, our annual conferences coming up in May, and that's where we will elect delegates for the 2020 general conference. So this is all going to have come back around for the 2020 general conference. So current clear, queer clergy, what happens to them and their jobs right now? Do you know? Right now, until those, until anything gets passed, um, it's status quo. There was a halt on trials mm-hmm. while, while we were going through this. And I think, I think in the plan that finally got passed, the effective date would be, uh, I can't remember. It's not until after the end of this year at the very earliest. And that would be, um, I don't know. I can't remember it. Mm -hmm. There's so much, but, but of course there were some, and this, oh, this goes into a whole other thing that we don't necessarily need to get into, but in Oklahoma, it's much more difficult to be 
queer and out as clergy mm-hmm. in the Western jurisdiction and in some other, and in, uh, on the East coast, there have been, there's been support. Um, yeah. I interviewed uh, Bishop Karen Olavito. Oh, okay. Ago. Yeah. So oh, yeah. she'll, she'll exactly. be on the podcast um, in two weeks. So. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. I love her. And the stories I hear about her election give me a lot of hope because yeah. it sounded to me like that was definitely a Holy spirit mm-hmm. um, empowered time. And I've heard testimony from people who had intended to, to vote against her because of her, mm-hmm. um, her uh, identity that mm-hmm. later said, Nope, it, it was clear that the Holy spirit was, was telling me to vote for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I take a lot of hope in that, but um so around around here, I don't know of anybody that um, was outed in this process, you know, or that wasn't already or whatever. But um, yeah, it's it's an uncertain time, and for me, um, I had made a, a commitment not to break the book of discipline. I have not done any gay weddings. I have not, mm-hmm. uh, of course, I'm I'm in a heterosexual marriage, so that wasn't a question mm-hmm. for me personally. And so I'm in a position of privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it were to come to one of the harshest pieces of this, of this plan that has not been true in the past would be, um, for people to sign a statement saying that they, um, yeah, you know, and if it came to that, I, I couldn't sign yeah. a statement that I will never, um, I will plan to uphold the discipline, mm-hmm. but I also plan to continue to advocate for it to be changed. And yeah. that is what I said in my ordination interviews. And that's what I'll continue to say. Yeah. yeah. seems like, Oh, there was something else I was going to say. And that was that throughout the conference, I was sitting with a group of OCU, Oklahoma city university is our Methodist university, mm-hmm. which is down on 23rd. There was a group of 15 religion students that came mm-hmm. And I was sitting with them the whole time. And that really helped give me perspective too about uh, what we're doing here and and the church that we're going to be asking them to lead. Uh, But there were um, two or three in that group who identify as LGBTQ Mm -hmm. and uh, our our leadership, our bishop and and some of our delegates uh, came up and spoke to them and and listen to them and listen to the concerns, not just of the LGBTQ students, but of the other students who mm-hmm. um, see this as a justice issue. And uh, I was pleased to see um, that they seemed to be truly listening in a way that I haven't seen a lot of, and our leadership has admitted uh, that they hadn't done before. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to tell you was that uh, the delegates that voted this week also voted in 2016. Mm -hmm. They were elected in our annual conference in May of 2015. Mm. Now, if you know the timeline, you know that the Supreme court decision that legalized gay marriage all over the U S happened in the summer of 2015. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, so many things have changed. And I have a group of parents of people who identify as LGBTQ in my church that have organized Mm -hmm. and they reached out to our delegates and they asked to meet with them and to tell the stories of their kids and how this church that had baptized their children and raised them and sent them to camp and sent them to youth group and all these things um, turned their back on their kids when they were coming out. And Mm -hmm. not only that, 
that it was the church was not a safe place to even discuss issues of um, sexual identity yeah. and orientation yeah. and that you know how their children suffered how they didn't have support as their children were coming out they didn't feel like it was safe to talk about people to talk about their kids coming out with people that they had been in Sunday school classes with for 30 years mm-hmm. like if you don't have people that you can talk to in your Sunday school class, then who is it going to be? What are we be? doing? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. What are right. we doing over here? <laughs> so so my, my parents met with only one delegate responded to that request. And so um, my, my parents of, of LGBT met with this delegate. And they were very disheartened to hear that the delegates had pretty, pretty well settled in their minds how they were going to vote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so if they're not open to... Again, the movement of the Holy Spirit, process of discernment. What are we doing? Yeah. It's not working. Yeah. So I have hope that with this new round um, of elections for delegates, uh, now we have a lot of people that are more invested in and engaged in, in the process. We've waken up some people mm-hmm. who didn't really think about how the system worked, and now they're, they're thinking they might want to get involved, and I... I have a lot of hope in that. 